Good evening. This is a meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment. The date is Tuesday, February 7th. The time is 5.03 p.m. Please note that the ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices is prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using a phone or a similar device. For remote participants, please note that the ringing of cell phones can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please ensure your device is silenced. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For comments on matters that are not on the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to comment in person will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Members of the public participating remotely may comment by calling into the meeting. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2492-667-1816 and the meeting password CCSF or 2273 via dial-in. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and silence any other devices. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment by email to the Commission Affairs Officer at environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. President Ahn? Here. Vice President Stevenson? Here. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Commissioner Sullivan? Here. Commissioner Wald? Here. Commissioner Wan? Here. President Ahn, we have a quorum. Excellent. And uh, next item, please. The next item is item two, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2023-01-COE, resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code section 54953E. The speaker is Kyle Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory document is resolution file 2023-01-COE. This item is for discussion and action. The commission will discuss and consider adoption of a resolution making findings that Government Code Section 54953E requires in order to allow the commission to hold meetings remotely as currently required under local law without complying with certain Brown Act requirements. If there are no discussion or changes, commissioners, could I have a motion to approve the resolution? I move. A motion from Commissioner Wald, a second? Second. A second from Commissioner uh, Vice President Stevenson. So we have a motion and a second. And hearing no further discussion, let's open this up for public comment. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment is concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Please call the roll. President Ahn? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? 
Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. And then the motion passes. Thanks, Kyle. Next item, please. The next item is item three. President's welcome. This item is for discussion. Good evening, everyone. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytushaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramaytushaloni understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramaytushaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Warup, Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as First Peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge and in how we care for San Francisco and all its people. Thank you for your attention during this important acknowledgement. And now for my own welcome message as president of the commission. We have a full agenda for you tonight, so I'll keep my comments very brief. However, I'd like to highlight an item you've all probably heard about in the news, which is when last month Richard Trumka Jr., President Biden's appointee to the Consumer Product Safety Commission, weighed in on the impact of gas stoves on human health and the environment. And with that comment, it seems like people just about lost their minds, <laughs> where we had an unexpected flashpoint in the culture wars. One Congress member even tweeted, if the maniacs come from my stove, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Now, it's a little amusing, you know, the firestorm, an offhand remark on gas stoves can spark, but the environmental impacts of gas appliances are real. And it's an issue that San Francisco has been leading on for some time, as well as grappling with its cultural implications. And so our city released its all-electric new construction ordinance, and it's on the process of updating Chapter 7 to address commercial buildings, something that we're going to hear more about tonight. So in the meantime, let's do our best to turn down the noise and tune out the tweets and focus on the important matters of hand of building a more sustainable environment and equitable city. So with that, let's get started. Any other public comment that we should take on this item? Okay, we'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Next item, please. The next item is item four, approval of minutes of the December 6, 2022 Commission on the Environment meeting. The explanatory document is the December 6, 2022 meeting draft minutes. This item is for discussion and action. Any discussions or changes to this document, commissioners? 
If not, may I have a motion? I'll move approval. A motion from Commissioner Sullivan. Is there a second? Second. A second from Commissioner Hunter. So we have a motion and second. Uh, can we open this up for public comment, Kyle? We'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you. Please call the roll. President Ahn? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. And with that, the motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item five, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. We'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comments concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. See no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Great. Next item, please, then. The next item is item six, presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Eden Brookman, Senior Green Building Coordinator. This item is for discussion. Commissioner Hunter, can you introduce this evening's Environmental Service Award? Yes, thank you. Um, before I get started, I do understand that we're joined by two special guests in addition to Eden. I believe your parents are here, and I just want to say thank you for raising such an amazing daughter, public advocate, and civil servant. I mean, we are blessed to work with somebody so talented, so thank you. Um, Eden, it is my honor to present you with this award. I think the work you have done with the department is unquantifiable, and generally your sense of creativity to bring innovative solutions to the department is something that we treasure and know that you have a passion for. As you took your creativity and innovation to build relationships with different departments, agencies, and stakeholders, we recognize that you were able to maximize your impact. And the list of your impact could be read here all night long, but I do want to highlight a few right out the gate. Chairing the Municipal Green Building Task Force and facilitating the electrification of SFO is a huge accomplishment and really speaks to the passion that you brought to this work. 
updating chapter seven, which we are going to hear about later tonight, is really getting into the weeds and bringing attention to detail that I think a lot of people could learn from you about. But there's still more to say. Leading the department's work on embodied carbon and building management material, developing the SF Energy Fair, being awarded a LEAD fellowship, and then finally being selected for the U.S. Green Council to travel to Singapore and represent the U.S. ASEAN Smart <coughs> Cities Partnership is a litany of things that not anyone could do, but you did. With all of that in mind, I do want to close with saying thank you for being such a compassionate and unfailing kind colleague to not only the people here in the department, but the community. Though we're sorry to see you leave the department, we know that you'll have a lasting impact on the people in this room and the city overall. So thank you for your service and congratulations. First of all, thank you for those words, Commissioner Hunter. Any other comments uh, from commissioners? If not, maybe we'll open it up to members of the public to speak. Would anyone joining this tonight like to say a few words? Good evening, commissioners. My name is Cindy Cumberford. And I just want to thank Eden for all the work that she's given to the San Francisco Environment Department. Um, I also want to thank her parents, her mom, Olmo, and her stepdad, Jonathan, for joining us and raising just an incredible human being. Um, not only did Eden consistently perform admirably in her position, she always went above and beyond and did everything with so much passion. Eden is already such a talented individual, but she was committed to growth and just became an extraordinary leader. Um, last but not least, as uh, Commissioner Hunter already said, Eden is just an incredibly kind human being, and I truly appreciate everything that she's done, and we will miss her dearly. Thank you so much, Eden. Eden, would you like to say a few words, perhaps? Excellent. Thank you, commissioners. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, good evening. Um, I'm a little emotional because when I joined the department, I told uh, Debbie Raphael, the director at the time, that I was looking for impact scale and kindness. And while so often in my career, I was lucky to be exposed to places that had impact and scale, I have yet to come across a place with so much kindness that could balance their love for other people, for uh, just other cultures, other, other understandings, embracing diversity, and doing it with compassion and understanding and with experience and knowledge. So, this has been an, such a wonderful work family for me. Um, and I just thank you for placing the trust in me to be able to lead some of our green building initiatives for policies, programs, and partnerships. And I just can't wait to see what happens next with the department and with the green building program. I know you all continue to do wonderful things. So thank you. Thank you again.
So with that, maybe just public comment then, Kyle. We could see if there's anybody. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any additional members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. So now we'll pause for a moment and take a portrait with a recipient. Up here. Thank you again, Eden, for your service to the city and the environment. And with that, next item, please, Kyle. The next item is item seven, staff introductions. The speaker is Tyrone Ju, acting director. This item is for discussion. Acting director Ju, please. Hello, here it goes, uh, commissioners. Uh, I am really looking forward to one of these meetings where we're not uh, saying goodbye to one of our beloved staff. Uh, at the same time, we always get the fortune of being able to welcome our new members of the department. Uh, today, we welcome a few of them. I'm gonna ask them all to kind of come up at the same time and, and line up in the order uh, that you're called and then introduce yourself, uh, your title and, and what you're doing and where you come from and your background. So we have Hannah Troon, Claire Poon, Michael Sawyer, and Tiffany Wynn. Good evening, commissioners. I'm Hannah Troon. I'm the Clean Transportation Program Manager at SF Environment. I come from a background in utilities, energy project development, and electrification policy and projects. Um, and at the department, I'll be managing the transportation program team and operations, focusing in particular on bringing in uh, more state and federal funding to help us uh, implement the electric vehicle roadmap. So I look forward to working with you. Thank you. Good evening, um, commissioners. Uh, my name is Claire Poon. I'm the senior account clerk. Um, I have been in accounts payable for 16 years in my background, and um, 
Um, I, uh, in the department, I mainly uh, focus on the POC issues and the payments and try to um, confirm that uh, everything is in compliance with the city's rules and um, requirements and um, like insurance validation, something like that. And I will, I will be um, assigned for more than that, but at this moment, um, I was just um, focused on the POs and payments. Thank you. Good evening, com commissioners. My name is uh, Mike Sawyer. I am, uh, my pronoun pronouns are he and him. I am uh, 1822 grants analyst for the um, Department of Environment. I came from PUC. My background is in accounting. Uh, I'm responsible for reconciling, reconciling the grants in a timely and efficient manner. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Tiffany Nguyen. I'm the new Digital Marketing and Strategy Assistant Coordinator. Um, I just graduated college last month at UCLA, and I have a background in marketing working at NASA um, Jet Propulsion Laboratory as a social media specialist. I'm really passionate about utilizing um, communication as an effective tool to bridge communities, so I'm very excited to be working here. And those are our new members introduced, so if everyone would join me in giving them a round of applause. And I believe we still have to move to public comment, right, on this item? So we'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing none. Uh, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you. Next item, please. The next item is item eight, presentation on environmental justice framework and general plan policies. The speakers are Lisa Chen, principal planner and project manager, planning department, and Danielle Goh, senior planner, planning department. This item is for discussion. Hello again, Lisa and Danielle. Hello. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Um, I'm Lisa Chen. I'm with the Citywide Policy Division of the Planning Department. Um, and we're really excited to be here today to provide an informational presentation on the EJ framework, um, which is a proposed update to our city's general plan. Um, so the EJ framework leverages the significant environmental justice work of the Department of the Environment and other city agencies. And if it's adopted, it will comprise San Francisco's first citywide policy aimed at addressing environmental justice across all city agencies. Um, so the EJ framework will be up for adoption at the Planning Commission and the Board of Supervisors this spring. Um, and so we welcome um, your feedback as we're finalizing um, the document. Um, so Danielle, you know, from the Planning Department will be providing today's presentation, but we just wanted to open uh, by really expressing our gratitude, first and foremost, to the community, uh, the many community members and organizations that contributed their time, shared their lived experiences, told us their challenges, 
uh, and proposed solutions to us over the past couple years. Um, we want to thank them for really challenging us and holding us accountable as government. Um, and we hope that we, they see their ideas and aspirations reflected in the framework. Um, and we also want to thank this commission and the staff at SFE, um, in particular Shraddha Mehta and Cindy Comerford for all their collaboration on the project. Um, so SFE has really been a key partner throughout the development of the framework, um, starting really with our earliest scoping phases um, and then continuing throughout our community engagement and finally during the policy development process. Um, so this partnership has really ensured alignment between the EJ framework and the city's climate action plan, and we look forward to continued co collaboration as we work to implement both. Um, we also attended this commission in April 2021 for an informational hearing at the policy subcommittee, um, which was really instrumental as we were finalizing our environmental justice communities map. Um, so I'll now pass the mic to Danielle. Thanks, Lisa, and hello, everyone. Thanks for being here and your attention today. Our presentation will start at the top, the background and goals of our project, before sharing with you the major updates of our community engagement and EJ communities map. The main event is the framework that's been a part of your packet today, and then we'll wrap up with next steps. So just to prime everyone with the impetus behind our work, especially if you weren't here, April 2021. <clears throat> um, this work, the environmental justice framework, is responding to policy mandates at both the state and local level. SB 1000 is the state bill that is requiring municipalities to analyze data on disadvantaged communities. We're relabeling re them as environmental justice communities. In addition, it requires us to put policies into our general plan to address unique and compounded health risks. And at the local level, resolutions from our Planning Commission and Historic Preservation Commission have called upon the Planning Department to put racial and social equity policies into our general plan. So you can see at the state and local level, there's a lot of reasons to be putting both environmental justice and racial and social equity into these long-range policies. And so to meet SB 1000 requirements, we've chosen an integrated approach so that we have an environmental justice framework that serves as a guidepost for all city agencies rather than a standalone environmental justice element. With part two, we have an environmental justice communities map that highlights these neighborhoods of concern. And we have also included policies discreetly to the safety and resilience element and the housing element that have just been adopted. And so moving forward, we have future updates underway to put environmental justice and equity throughout uh, our continued general plan updates, starting with the transportation element that's upcoming in 2025 and all the elements listed. <clears throat> in particular, the environmental protection element and the air quality element. <clears throat> Sorry, there's a frog in my throat. <clears> throat> And so to uh, describe what goes inside the environmental justice framework, you can see this full set of high-level vision and priority statements that outlines the environmental justice work. This is guided by SB 1000 that encourages us to think broadly about healthy communities of opportunity, not just environmental pollution, which is a cornerstone of this work. And so as we propose this new environmental justice framework to the city, we're proposing to incorporate it by reference into the general plan introduction. 
that is also being updated. The last time was in 1996. And so overall, we're incorporating new content such as a land acknowledgement, strengths and challenges of our built environment, acknowledgement and apology of inequitable planning policies and actions. And so with all of these updates pulling from the department's um, planning processes over the recent years, the introduction will become more informative, more engaging, and more inclusive so that all San Franciscans can participate in this long-range comprehensive planning document. <clears throat> so moving on, these next few slides will share about our community outreach and engagement that has happened for over two years. And so to share our goals, Again, encouraged by SB 1000, we've worked really hard to design activities to meaningfully involve um, residents, workers, and community leaders into this local decision-making process. We uh, worked really hard to elevate environmental justice to a citywide dialogue across neighborhood boundaries, building upon a lot of existing environmental justice work throughout many city agencies. And lastly, we wanted to both acknowledge past harms and identify future solutions where the city can step in to this work. So with this timeline, you can see we've done a range of activities, starting with youth engagement with second graders, all the way to an open house, set of interviews, an eight-month environmental justice working group that SF Environment staff supported, as well as focus groups at the end of last year. <clears throat> Um, so notably, the working group reached unanimous consensus on a 28-page document of draft policy recommendations. These recommendations inform the development of the framework, and they're posted online as supplemental material. <clears throat> you can see that in there, there's a lot of detailed, lots and lots of detailed information to reflect the community needs and desires underneath environmental justice, and we look forward to continuing to relay that to other city agency staff. So this slide highlights all of the community-based organizations that were partners with us in this work. And so we're really proud of the relationships that we've built in coordination with outreach with the Climate Action Plan, the safety and resilience element, and other efforts throughout the city on these issues. And so I just wanna appreciate again the students, residents, workers, and community leaders who have been involved in this process. Uh, they were uh, very uh, op like open with us and we're grateful that they shared some pretty honest and frank commentary about their living and working conditions in the city. So moving along to the environmental justice communities map, um, you all are familiar with Cal Enviro Screen and SB 1000 encourages us to use that as a starting place to identify environmentally sensitive areas. It is a statewide mapping tool from Cal EPA and OIHA that uses 20 indicators for pollution, health, and socioeconomic indicators. However, we know that many policy and community advocates critique this map for excluding many sensitive areas in San Francisco. And so in the bottom right-hand excerpt, you can see that it highlights only Treasure Island, parts of the Tenderloin and Soma, and Bayview-Hunters Point. With our analysis for the environmental justice communities map, we used CalEnviroScreen as a starting place and refined it with additional local data to have uh, analysis that is easily replicable and aligns with other maps by other agencies. And so we'll share more in the following slides to see how much it has reflected feedback from our partner agencies as well as the community. 
This map about our method shares that our team reviewed over 100 data sets and landed on this simplified methodology. Uh, so with Cal and Viroscreen as our base, we added three additional layers, household income from the census, air pollution from DPH, and the areas of vulnerability analysis also from DPH, which includes a number of socioeconomic indicators such as race, education, and linguistic ability. And so that helps, again, have this higher resolution on top of Cal and Viroscreen and brings us to this final map. Since you last saw this in April 2021, we made some visual updates just to enhance what the EJ communities are, which are these areas in red. They're the 30% of top burdened areas in the city. So you can see on the right-hand slide, it's the state map, and then the larger map is ours, and you can see the difference. It's more inclusive of environmental justice communities. It includes areas of Bayview Hunters Point, Chinatown, Excelsior, Japantown, Mission, OMI, Outer Mission, Portrayal Hill, Soma, Tenderloin, Treasure Island, Viz Valley, and Western Edition. And so these are the areas where the environmental justice framework draws attention to. These are the areas where policy should prioritize attention and resources. And so through our outreach, again, over the past two years, we received a lot of positive feedback about you know, how this map is reflecting uh, environmental sensitivity. In particular, I think people really enjoy the opportunity to think collectively about all neighborhoods in the city that are facing these disproportionate challenges. And it's already being integrated by other city agencies, thanks to our amazing staff partners. And so just as an example, the Rec and Park Commission adopted this methodology uh, in December as part of redefining their equity zones. And the PUC is using it to help determine grant funding for green infrastructure. So we're very appreciative of that coordination. And so finally, the major document, the framework, uh, we wanted to share just briefly, it outlines starting with the historical context of EJ and equity in the city. The second part shares our broad definition of environmental justice, as well as the communities map. And the third and final portion outlines all of our vision statements and priority statements that guide our whole city's work on environmental justice conditions. So these next few slides are organized by those SB 1000 topics and the priorities are bulleted on the right-hand slide. On the left-hand slide, we just wanted to highlight and illustrate one example of a local victory that's been done in recent years to just illustrate what we're looking for. So without reading through all of them, just wanted to highlight, we start with healthy and resilient environments. And so in addition to limiting and protecting against pollution exposure, we wanna prioritize a resilient utility system in alignment with the human rights to water, power, and sanitation. With physical activity and healthy public facilities, we're thinking through diverse and inclusive programming so that people can really see themselves reflected in physical health, mental health, and cultural practice. With healthy food access, we affirm healthy food as a human right, affordable, accessible, culturally appropriate. This next section on safe, healthy, and affordable homes, we wanna say was de developed in concert with the housing element, so you can see a lot of parallel and mirroring policy priorities, such as having housing that supports public health. With equitable and green jobs, we're thinking through having networks of work and entrepreneurship opportunities so that there's ample environmental and community benefits. 
And then to wrap up, we have empowered neighborhoods. And what I wanted to highlight here is centering environmental justice efforts and collaboration with the American Indian communities and having lots of traditional ecological knowledge. So to wrap up, uh, we just, again, wanted to ground ourselves in all the interagency coordination that's brought us here. This is definitely an abridged excerpt of all the work that's being done across the city. And so pending adoption of the framework, we really look forward to continuing that partnership to get to implementation. So as mentioned earlier, there are agencies who are referring to the EJ Communities Map and other agencies that are really mirroring the core policy intentions. And we also have phase two of our general plan updates so that EJ is reflected throughout subsequent elements. So um, we are scheduled to adopt at our planning commission on March 2nd, and then we'll have hearings at the Board of Supervisors in April and May. Um, we're really excited to you know, inform you here today. We're also informing the Human Rights Commission on Thursday about this work, and here, during Q&A and afterwards, please feel free to reach out to myself and Lisa so that we can get your feedback into this work. So to finally close out, wanted to share this quote from Hazel Johnson, the mother of the environmental justice movement. And you know, <laughs> I wish I didn't have this frog in my throat, but you know, to, to, to evoke her, if we want a safe environment for our children and grandchildren, we must clean up our act no matter how much, how hard a task it might be. So thank you for your attention and happy to open up for Q&A. Any questions or comments from fellow commissioners? Yes, Vice President Stevenson. Yeah, thank you so much for that presentation. It was really um, insightful for me and I'm not very familiar with sort of the planning department necessarily or, or some of the terms. So I just wanted to check in on a couple of things. <laughs> so is my assumption that the general plan is sort of similar, it's the you know, we have a climate action plan for our department. Is the general plan like the main document that you follow as a city um, as, as you're doing city planning? Yes, so the general plan is stewarded by the planning department, but it is owned by the whole city. Yeah. And it's a land use document that's mandated by the state. And so the state mandates all municipalities to have a land use doc document, um, primarily to think through development and the built environment and all the other aspects that make you know, the city more vibrant. So it's jobs, uh, air quality. Uh, we just updated the safety element that deals with natural disasters and hazards, housing element, transportation, all of these prongs. There's about um, 10 elements, also known as like chapters or policy sections, and most of them are mandated by the state, again. And there are some elements that we choose to create electively, uh, just because we decide those are values in our city, such as our arts and culture element mm -hmm. um, and a historic preservation element, as an example. That's really helpful, thank you. How often, is, is it a mandate that it has to be updated a certain amount of times, or is it just a living document that gets created? Every Definitely time? a living document. So currently, of all those elements, the housing element is uh, regulated to be updated every eight years. And then for all the other elements, it's a, it's a range. So there are some elements that are quite outdated, I would say like as old as I am. Um, and then the most recent element besides the housing and safety element was the recreation and open space element from 2014. Mm -hmm. And the EJ piece of this sort of impacts all of these different elements and mm -hmm. relates through the entire plan. Um, is there any sort of uh, 
mandate a requirement around how often we update that piece of it? No, so this is going to be the first time this environmental justice component exists. The state legislation SB 1000 was passed in 2016, and so currently there isn't um, information that I know of of regular updates. But I'll, I'll pass to Lisa in case I'm missing any other detail. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was really helpful. Thank you. Yep. I, I have a comment and a question. I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, the environmental justice mapping efforts of the city be more inclusive, uh, particularly of communities like Chinatown, for instance, which have been long been ignored in the Calum virus screen uh, mapping tool in particular. Mm -hmm. I want to um, just pose a thought at least, which is, have, have you tried communicating this more inclusive map to the state since this was all started by a state legislative process to begin with, and particularly with OEHA under uh, Cal EPA? Mm -hmm. Right. That's a, we haven't done that yet. I think that's definitely an open conversation once we've finally adopted, or not finally, but eventually adopt it as a final map. Um, I think we have been working with SF Environment staff to be involved in those Cal Screen updates. And so we were able to incorporate version 4.0 from October 2021 into this version. And the, recognize the state of California, it's come a long way. I remember the early versions of Cal Screen did not even include Bayview Hunters Point, which was a travesty unto itself. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I think having that conversation with the state just to emphasize, hey, there's a local mapping effort that's becoming better and better. And here are mm -hmm. some you know, local data sets that we've used would be really helpful. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm -hmm. Any other comments or questions from fellow commissioners? If not, let's go to public comment then. We'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right. Thanks again, Danielle and Lisa. Next item, please, Kyle. All right. The next item is item nine, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2023-02-COE, resolution authorizing the Environment Department grants. The sponsor is Tai Renju, acting director. The speakers are Esther Tang, environmental education coordinator, Jesus Lozano, urban forestry council coordinator, Hillary Neer, commercial zero waste coordinator, Yui Lei, Household Hazardous Waste and Used Oil Program Coordinator and Raymond Mannion, Environmental Justice Coordinator. The explanatory document is Resolution File 2023-02-COE. This item is for discussion and possible action. Uh, Commissioner Tyrone Ju, Acting Director. Uh, as this commission knows, uh, you set forth new policy to increase the transparency for our contracting and grants processes within the department. And so all departments, uh, all outgoing grants for the department over a certain threshold are required to go before the commission for approval. Uh, tonight we're bringing a number of our pending outgoing grants, which include the first set of climate grants, which we've been talking about over the past several months, 
um, and those grants were funded through the ADBAC received last year. But more than having me just run through the list, uh, we have each of the program areas representing uh, the grants that we'll be giving out uh, to talk about more about their grants that will be given out. Good evening, uh, commissioners. Slide. So, <clears throat> my name is Esther Tang, and I'm senior environmental uh, specialist, and I lead the youth education, doing outreach to all K-12 students. And so, the first grant, um, it's an extension for SFUSD Sustainability Office. So, it's an existing partner and. So this particular, this 100K uh, grant is mainly to support uh, staff in the collaborative work where I serve as a liaison um, among us with the SFUSD schools, teachers, and staff. Next slide. The next grant, it's also an existing partner. So SFUSD Science Center, so we've been offering this grant um, mainly for field studies program, connecting youth to nature. And um, this is an annual work, an ongoing work. This also include, um, include work where they train teachers, so they have teacher professional development program included as well. Next slide. So this is part of the new um, RFP climate um, grant, and so we're awarding it to two uh, part new partners. So the first one is Enterprise for Youth. So $12,500 is going to them, mainly to support their internship program for youth. So career experience, um, focusing um, on youth from diverse and underrepresented background. Next slide. So the second one is going to Charity Cultural Services Center, CCSC. Again, uh, same amount, 12,500 grant for um, their Youth Environmental Awareness Program. So um, for them, they have this train-the-trainer model to empower high school um, students to teach other students, and that way they learn. So they will develop the curriculum and then teach it to others so that they learn better. Thank you. Commissioners, this is Lozano with Urban Forestry um, Council Coordinator, also with the Environment Department. Uh, I'll be sharing about the three community greening grants that we are hoping to award. Uh, the first grant supports the Portland Neighborhood Association's ongoing work transforming the um, overgrown easement between. Highway 101 and the businesses along San Bruno Avenue into uh, valuable biodiverse green space. Next slide, please. The, this grant supports Friends of Alamany Farm and the expansion of their green job apprenticeship program um, that builds job skills in ecosystem management um, and regenerative urban agriculture um, through community greening work on the on Alamany Farm. Next slide, please. The third uh, <laughs> Healthy Ecosystems Grant 
um, similar to the first one, supports uh, Citizen Film in their work uh, transforming um, and restoring the Bernal Cut um, along San Jose Avenue, um, also in a biodiverse green connection uh, for the neighborhoods uh, adjacent to the cut. All three projects take action um, aligned with our climate action plan, integrating local biodiversity um, and enhancement of open spaces in our built environment, um, as well as uh, creating and supporting more equitable access and community participation in our green spaces and greening work. Thank you. Hi, I'm Hilary Neer. I serve the Commercial Zero Waste Team as the coordinator. And uh, we had the privilege to administer three grants um, funded through a local assistance grant to support 1383, SB 1383, our short-lived climate pollutant statewide policy. Um, we were administered 1.1 million, and we decided to provide um, over 700,000 through three grants. The first is to SFUSD, um, so we're partnering with them to do composting education as well as application to some of their uh, stormwater sites, so just with their landscaping manager. Um, next slide is the other two grants with the Resource Conservation District. So this is a pilot program. They are land managers. They've been working with small farmers um, for decades. And this is a pilot project to connect them with compost that's funded by municipalities who are making the compost. And we want to get it back onto small farms. So we're going to do a project um, prioritizing smaller underserved um, farms, and the goal is to get up to over 4,000 uh, tons of compost onto those 50 farms in the next year and a half. And the second um, in that sort of vein is through an organization called Zero Foodprint, started here in San Francisco, um, who is, the next slide, yeah, who's uh, partnering, matching private funding with these local assistance grant funds to um, do some of the same. I think that they're resource conservation districts, but they um, have this private funding so they can get up to uh, 1,100, or excuse me, 11,000 tons of that, uh, some of the same compost throughout California. So they have a, a la larger spectrum, um, larger target. Good evening, commissioners. So my name is Hui. I am with the Toxic Reductions and Healthy Ecosystems team. And so we are excited to uh, issue 50,000, approximately $50,000 in grants to UCSF uh, Office of Sustainability to really provide education to uh, pregnant and new mothers um, about the issues of endocrine disrupting chemicals. So these are, uh, or EDCs are commonly found in a lot of plastic products, personal care products, and a lot of food storage containers. And so part of this grant will also fund a toolkit, which will be provided to you know, mothers, uh, like a glass uh, baby bottles and glass food containers. Um, and then this will be directed to th the top 30% of environmental justice burden communities. Uh, zip codes, and I appreciate your comment earlier, Eddie, about how Chinatown has been largely excluded, and so I'll be sure to inform the grant recipient about including that that audience too. 
And so, um, yes, yeah, so we'll be working with uh, newborn mothers. This is uh, important to me too, because as a father, I wish my parents knew something about this as when we were younger. So looking forward to it. Thank you. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Ray Mannion. I'm an environmental justice coordinator with the climate team. <clears throat> uh, the climate program released the environmental justice slash building decarbonization RFP to support building electrification efforts in some of San Francisco's most impacted neighborhoods. The decarb grants will serve the city's EJ communities using the EJ communities map, educating residents about the hazard of gas appliances while promoting the benefits of electrification. In addition to the education, the grant will support actual appliance installations. Cultura y Arte Nativa de las Americanas, also known as CANA, will execute a decarbonization public education campaign using email, text, social media, and Spanish language radio combined with an induction stovetop and induction cookware giveaway during Carnival, San Francisco, 2023 and 2024. This concludes their presentation. We welcome questions. Great. Uh, questions, comments? Yes, Commissioner Wall. Um, thank you. Uh, thanks to all of you for bringing these grants to us. They look really, really terrific, uh, and it's interesting to learn about them. Are there any grantees in the room? Apparently not. Uh, so I realize we have a really long uh, agenda tonight, but just want to observe, I think it's a good thing when people that we um, are giving or thinking about giving uh, grants to actually attend our meetings so that we can begin to establish a relationship uh, between them and us as well as them and uh, the staff of the department. Uh, if I may, through the chair, to answer Commissioner Walt, Charles Shan, uh, Policy and Public Affairs. Um, thank you, Commissioner, for that uh, note. We um, we thought long and hard about this exact point, and because of the length of the meeting and it was paired with our budget, we thought long and hard after we thought long and hard, and <laughs> we decided not to do what we do every year. Um, and we're continuing to grapple because there is, you know, the new requirement to bring all grants. And some of these grants are a little more transactional. Some of them are almost work orders. And some of them are part of our climate grants. They're grant grants. And so we're still working through what is the best process. And so it's, it's good to hear your thoughts on that. And we'll incorporate that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I just wanted to make sure we weren't starting a sort of new tradition. Good. Thanks. Other, yes, Commissioner Sullivan. Thank you. Uh, so this agenda item is arising out of desire to have the commission provide a little more oversight over, over grants of this type. For each of these grants, I assume there is a source of funds and then a party receiving the grant, and it wasn't clear to me with each of the grants where the money was coming from and, and what entity was getting it. And maybe some of it's coming from our, our general budget, others was funded, were, were funded by outside entities and that wasn't clear to me as, I, as we were going through the dozen or so grants. Uh, 
Tarunju, acting director. Had to give it a second to like to turn on. Uh, thank you for the question. So, yes, we could be more explicit uh, in terms of the documentation you receive, but the grants are coming from primarily three sources of funding, either the department's carbon fund, the ad back, the $2.6 million ad back, uh, which was allocated to the department in the last budget cycle, or uh, coming from state monies received uh, for implementation of SB 1383. So those are the three primary sources of funding. Thank you. Uh, yes, Commissioner Hunter. Um, just wanting to say thank you for presenting such a detailed overview of where the money is going. I think as the programs develop, I know for all of our grants, we do have very stringent reporting. Um, and I noticed that a few of the presenters tonight were very clear with the um, KPIs or ROI for each of those, be it over 11,000 tons or making sure to restore certain areas. I would be curious to see where each of those end up in an end state as either specifically people come back to renew those grants. I'd be curious to hear about the work that they've done and where they've metriced against in the past. Generally, to some of the other commissioners' points, we're really trying to have more oversight into how the money is being spent and allocated, and having that transparency, I think, would be helpful in future presentations. Uh, yes, Commissioner Wong. I'm um, just piggyback on this comment. I think also as my real job is also a CBO service-based organization, um, my understanding how important it is for understanding the reporting requirement. I think it will be very lengthy. We we'll ask every single organization to come up to present the outcome, but it will always be helpful, maybe just one impact report to show like some matrix and also what they have accomplished at the end of the year. That will always be helpful. Um, the other thing I just want to clarify, so this grant is one year or is that like a two-year grant? Because I noticed some of them have a different years that mentioned in the grant. I just try to get a better understanding. I think there are different durations specific to each grant. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's looking at... So information will be helpful if we know it's a one-year grant or multi-year grant. Yeah. Good comments. Um, anything else? Uh, yes, I see Charles coming back up to the mic. Charles Shan, Policy Public Affairs. So we have probably 10 more grants associated with our climate grants coming next commission meeting or the commission after that. So feedback is good and we can adjust and um, we'll have a slightly different uh, presentation based on your uh, feedback. And we'll probably have other grants throughout the year that, um, but they won't be in chunks of 10 and 20 at the same time. This is kind of our biggest season for it. So the feedback is uh, good and we'll uh, revise accordingly. Uh, seeing no other comments from commissioners, maybe we'll go to public comment. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. I'm sorry. I, I believe we should do a motion first, right? And then it's... Um, to move this grant package forward? Yes. Um, may I ask for a motion from uh, motion. Uh, Commissioner Wald um, moves? Is there a second? A second from Commissioner Wan. Thanks for. Um, and we'll do public comment again. Again, we'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in person comments concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. 
Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And see no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Great. Please call the roll. <laughs> President Ahn? Yes. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. The motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item 10, review and vote on whether to approve the Environment Department's fiscal year 2023-24 budget and accompanying supplemental budget memo. The sponsor is Tyrone Drew, Acting Director. The speaker is Joe Salem, Finance Program Manager. Explanatory documents are the draft Environment Department fiscal year 2023-24 budget and the budget memo. This item is for discussion and possible action. Uh, commissioners, I'm pleased to present our fiscal year 23-24-24-25 draft budget. Uh, we can pull up the presentation. This is a presentation we're going to tag team with Joe Salem, our, our budget manager. So on this agenda, we're going to cover a couple of different areas. One, we're going to review what the budget process is and budget timeline. The second, we're going to go over the details for our budget for this year. The third, we're going to spend a little bit more time focusing on our additional budget requests uh, that are really going to be at the crux of the budget we submit and must advocate for. And finally, of course, we'll have questions. Next slide. And next slide. So the following slide uh, outlines the budget timetable and process. Uh, the mayor did release her budget instructions to all city agencies. Uh, we've now, this is going to be our second hearing on the budget. The first hearing was heard at the operations committee uh, last month. Next slide. In the budget ordinance, we do have to complete both meetings by February 14th. So obviously this meeting uh, puts us in compliance with that. Uh, after, uh, should the commission choose to adopt the budget, we'll then submit that budget proposal to the mayor and controller on February 21st. Controller will submit their budget estimates to the mayor by March 1st, and subsequently the mayor will submit her proposed budget to the Board of Supervisors by May 1. Next slide. We tackled the budget process in a slightly different uh, fashion this time around, where uh, the operation committee members heard from each of the program areas uh, within the department to learn about their priorities, their staffing, and their budget, and their budget challenges. And so commissioners heard presentations from all of the different program managers uh, from all of our program areas. Next slide. To recap the mayor's budget instructions for the next two years, um, the mayor's budget office is projecting a cumulative $728 million deficit over the next two fiscal years. Uh, for general fund departments, uh, they were asked to make a cut of 5% in year one and 3% in year two, uh, and then also filling uh, vacancies, only those based on core departmental functions and mayoral priorities, and saving the rest for, uh, in terms of filling vacancies for budget savings. Next slide. Non-general fund departments like our department are expected to absorb any increases in their operating costs for both fiscal years. So as 
staffing costs go up, we're asked to keep our budget neutral. And so the Environment Department will be required to reduce our general fund budget, which you'll see in the subsequent slide is a very, very small, tiny sliver of what we actually uh, are funded by, uh, by 16,000 in the first year and about 9,800 in year two. Next slide. I'm gonna toss it over to Joe for the first slide. Great, thank you. Uh, good evening, commissioners. My name is Joe Salem. I'm the budget manager for the uh, San Francisco <clears throat> Environment Department. Uh, as most of you probably know, uh, the San Francisco Environment Department has both an annual appropriation ordinance, or AAO, budget and an annual operating budget. The AAO budget is what we will deliver to the mayor's office on February 21st, but the operating budget is a more comprehensive uh, representation of the department's spending plan. Essentially, the operating budget takes into consideration the department's entire current projections for revenues and expenditures in a given fiscal year, whereas the AAO budget uh, only captures new funding that we're requesting in a given fiscal year. Um, and we can see this illustrated uh, in, the, in the slide here. While the proposal that we'll submit to the mayor's office will be between 27 and 28.7 million for fiscal 2024, we anticipate actually utilizing between 31 and 33 million dollars in fiscal 2024. Uh, because of this, I'll be focusing on our operating budget as I feel it's the, the best way to provide the most comprehensive uh, and thorough view of our budget process and our spending plan for fiscal 2024. Um, so looking at this, uh, the proposed operating budget summary on the right, uh, you can see that we do have a uh, large projected deficit for fiscal 2024. The vast majority of this uh, $1.69 million deficit, about $1.5 million, uh, is directly tied to one-time add-back funding that we received for the current fiscal year that we have not yet secured for fiscal 2024. Uh, the remainder of the deficit is mostly tied to uh, salary increases. Next slide. For the current fiscal year, 2022-23, uh, we received a one-time add-back from the Board of Supervisors of $2.6 million for work around climate and clean transportation. This add-back funded positions that for fiscal 2024, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, equal 6.15 FTEs and represent a cost to the department of approximately $1.5 million. Uh, as I mentioned, the funds for these FTEs uh, have not been secured at the present time, so uh, they're being represented as deficits in our draft budget. Uh, I think Director Ju will speak more about this later in the, in the presentation. Um, I would like to point out, though, that, that this figure was actually originally over 1.8 million, uh, but thanks to new grant funding that the department secured, we were able to fund 80% uh, of the Clean Transportation Program Manager, which significantly reduced this, this deficit. Um, next slide. So there are always changes to our budget numbers between the Operations Committee and presentation and the presentation uh, that we give uh, this evening. Um, just as there will be changes uh, between tonight's presentation and our final submission on February 21st, uh, a few of the major changes are listed here and are incorporated into the uh, budget summary figures uh, in this presentation. Next slide. There are, however, a few changes that uh, we just recently became aware of and are not incorporated into these budget figures. 
specifically, the PUC recently let us know that they will not be funding the integrated pest management, urban forestry, or biodiversity work orders in fiscal 2024. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, in the previous slide, you know, you, we, you saw that there is a new uh, Office of Contract Administration work order uh, as they, are, they will begin charging departments directly for their services. Uh, this slide shows the volume of contracts uh, for the 14 largest users uh, of their services. And you can see that Environment uh, is the eighth largest user uh, of, of the Office of Contract Administration services. Uh, I think the, the point here, uh, commissioners, if I may interject, is we far, our work uh, far outpaces the size of our department. So when you think about all the contracts and grants or the grants you just heard, we're doing a tremendous volume of work. So when we're saying we need to add administrative staff like the climate and grants analyst position, this is why. Um, you know, we're a $28 million roughly department and you can compare our budgets to the other departments who have vastly larger uh, contracting staff, and we uh, previously only had one person working on that. So it's key if we're going to actually implement our climate action plan that we begin to build up our administration capacity. I'd actually like to add to that that grants are actually not part of that figure. Oh, so this is just for contracts. Just contracts. So we do a ton of grants as well, and that um, you know, uh, is is even more in terms of the size of our department um, for, for the work that we do, um, to, just to illustrate that, that it's, 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 a, it's a very large number for, for the size of our department. Um, next slide. Oh, I'm sorry, it's there. <laughs> I'm looking at it, waiting for it to go. Um, all departments are required to uh, submit a two-year budget each year, but because of the nature of our funding, um, in, in our heavy reliance on, on grant revenue, it's incredibly difficult to accurately forecast the budget for the second fiscal year of our submission. Um, as you can see here, the fiscal 2025's budget deficit stands today at uh, $2.9 million, uh, which is more than $1.2 million above our 2024 deficit. And this is primarily because several grants that are active in fiscal 2024 will conclude before fiscal 2025. Um, while you know, we have every confidence that we will secure you know, new grants or other revenue sources uh, to cover this gap by that time, you know, by the time we submit our 2025-2026 budget request next year, um, those grants have not even been identified yet, much less you know, applied for or awarded. Um, next slide. So you know, year over year, we're currently projecting an operating budget increase of between 1.2 and $2.9 million, or about 4 and 10%. And the major drivers of the year over year increase are new grants and an increase in personnel costs. Next slide. All right, uh, I'm gonna handle the next part of the, the presentation about our additional budget requests uh, and ask for this fiscal year. Next slide. So before I begin talking about our new requests for this uh, budget year, uh, I wanted to take a look back at what progress we've made in terms of uh, spending down and using the ad back that has been given over the past two budget years. 
so we filled seven positions, which if by city hiring standards is an amazing accomplishment. <laughs> Uh, we have two in progress that are uh, soon to be hired any day now. So and we will have fulfilled all those positions that we said we were gonna hire using that ad back uh, and that will be complete. On the professional services contract side, uh, we have two contracts that are complete, 11 contracts that are just through the review and implementation process and three that are not started and primarily actually waiting for those two positions uh, we're, we're trying to get filled. On the grant side, you heard today about the tremendous work we're making putting money uh, into the community room related to our climate grants. And so the two million in grant funding, which were funded through the variety of sources I outlined earlier, uh, those are supporting community action to get us to our uh, greenhouse emission goals, greenhouse gas emission goals. Other notable updates, uh, just this past year, as you know, we've delivered and completed our long-term funding study, which was funded through an ad back from two budget years ago. Uh, we just have released the Climate Equity Hub RFP, which is out there for solicitation and closing in a few days. Um, and we're, we're still continuing to just move on all the work uh, that we said we were going to do. Which brings us to kind of our priorities for this coming budget year. Uh, first and foremost is really to make sure that we can retain all of the staff that we have hired and more importantly the staff and the capacity that this department has now created uh, through these positions. As Joe noted earlier, the original number was $1.8 million. That's actually right after we came out of the last budget cycle. We said in order to keep these positions, we're going to need $1.8 million. And just like we said we were gonna do, we're gonna go out there and look for grants, bring money into the city to do projects and also fund our staff to reduce the burden on our taxpayers. And thanks to our state grant, uh, the CEC grant, which was awarded, now we get to bring our overall ask down from 1.8 to 1.53. It's an illustration of what we wanna continue doing and what we, have, what we need the capacity to continue to do. What's key to note is you know, these grants like can't wait for our city hiring process to, to hire someone and then apply for a grant. By then you've already lost that grant opportunity. By having the people we have in place now, we are putting our city in position to go after those federal and state grants that we know are just coming online right now. Next slide. Uh, this is the table showing the positions uh, that are funded through the ADMAC that uh, basically make up that deficit you saw earlier. And so it totals to 6.15 FTE. And some of those are new positions or funding, uh, fully funding existing positions within the department. Next slide. In addition, uh, we know that as we've talked about, there's a tremendous amount of work that still needs to be done. Uh, and we need additional staff and we need additional resources. And so if we wanna fund you know, the Climate Equity Hub, continue our climate grant work, continue our technical work, and continue our work uh, really trying to bring in as much money into, this, into the city and to this department uh, for the public benefit, we need to continue building our capacity. Uh, so the 3.5 million you see here, uh, 2.6 million is for existing professional services, uh, basically covering what we were able to do last year with our grants and other uh, contracts. Uh, there's about $585,000 uh, allocated for new additional staff uh, that would focus on commercial decarbonization and other work. 
and we have about 307,000 in new professional services identified for uh, the upcoming fiscal year. Next slide. When you break these, uh, when you break that money out into the different categories, and these categories uh, should be familiar to the commission as we've used these categories to define where the money is going to be allocated in terms of our climate action plan implementation. Uh, I'm not gonna go over each individual one, uh, but again, it's on eliminating fossil fuels from our buildings and building electrification, improving our outreach and implementation. You're gonna hear about our climate action plan marketing program, which launched uh, just days ago. And we need to continue that in order to build public awareness about this work. Uh, we need to continue expanding our work around healthy ecosystems. Uh, next slide. We need to continue our clean transportation work, our racial equity work, and of course, making sure that we have sufficient administrative staff uh, as our backbone for our department to support all of the activities I just mentioned. Next slide. Uh, the following table outlines the new position fundings. So this is the $585,000 and where that funding would go to uh, fund. All right, and then we're gonna transition a little uh, to an ordinance which passed uh, through the Board of Supervisors and was signed by the mayor, which is to implement a gas-powered lawn equipment ordinance. So basically banning gas-powered lawn equipment and replacing them with electric uh, options. When that ordinance was going through the board process, uh, we were very clear to the board and to the mayor that we did not have the staffing or the resources to implement this program. And essentially, it's, it's an unfunded mandate as of the moment. Uh, and they asked us, put together a budget for what you would need in terms of staffing and resources. And here is what that budget looks like. It's uh, 1.6 million in the upcoming fiscal year uh, to fund staff, marketing, with a vast majority of that funding going towards a buyback program or an incentive program to help people in switching out their equipment. And then uh, a $2.4 million uh, basically budget request in the next fiscal year in 24-25. Next slide. The following table just outlines the staff positions that would be funded through uh, those dollars I just mentioned. Next slide. Uh, so per the mayor's office budget instructions, we are going to be presenting a balanced budget to the mayor's office. We will be moving those positions, those, those positions to off budget. To, that's the only way to create a balanced budget. At the same time, uh, we've been told to prepare a memo from this commission outlining what our budget requests and needs are for consideration. And so uh, that's the next item I believe you're gonna, you're gonna hear about. But together, that's what will be submitted to the mayor's office. Uh, our budget, our balanced budget, and the memo outlining all of our additional budget requests. And with that, uh, we have two action items to the commission that I just wanna make sure are clear. One is to approve the AAO budget, again, without those general fund positions. And two, uh, approving the supplemental budget request to prevent position elimination support the climate action plan and ordinance implementation with additional general fund support. And those are the two items in front of you today for this. Happy to answer any questions. Uh, questions or comments from fellow commissioners? So that last slide for this item, we're just gonna do item one, right? Yeah. yeah that's correct. But any 
comments or questions? If not, could I have a motion to move um, this particular item? Resolution. So moved. All right. A motion from Commission uh, Vice President Stevenson. A second. Second. A second from Commissioner Hunter. Uh, with that, let's go to public comment. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it's your turn to speak. We do have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller. You are unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Hello, my name is Susan Green. Um, I'm working with the San Francisco Climate Emergency Coalition, and I'm a member of Friends of the Urban Forest. Um, I just wanted to speak very briefly in support of the Department of the Environment's uh, budget request and um, the need. I, I know this is the next agenda item, but also the need for um, money from the general fund to help stabilize the work that they need to do to implement the climate action plan. This is a, a, an incredibly urgent matter for the city that's getting little attention and very little funding. And we, this year we really need to turn that around and start uh, the year with a request for um, general fund money and money that will stabilize the department's uh, ongoing staffing so that they can adequately address our uh, climate obligations. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, roll call vote, please. President on. Aye. Vice President Stevenson. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. And with that, the motion passes, and we'll move on to item 11 now. The next item is Thank item you, 11. Review and vote on whether to approve letter requesting additional general fund support for environment department programs. The sponsor is Johanna Wald, commissioner. The explanatory document is the budget letter. This item is for discussion and possible action. And Commissioner Wald, please take it away. I move. Uh, would you like to speak to this item a little bit more? Um, no, don't we have the, to have a, I'm sorry. This is the letter, right? Do we have no, that draft? This this is the memo, right? This is the let this is the letter. My letter. Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um so as I'm sure you all, all recall, uh in the last several years we have uh sent a letter to the mayor. Uh, on behalf of the commission, uh, urging uh, that 
uh, she support the department's budget request. I've been a very strong supporter of uh, these letters, and this year, rather than have the letters sent, developed, drafted, uh, and developed after the meeting, I thought it would be a good idea to have um, the letter before us at the meeting uh, so that we could uh, discuss and uh, vote on its contents. That's why uh, this letter is before you now. Uh, the letter will allow the commission to weigh in on the funding constraints that have contributed to the department's budget shortfall, which we've just heard about in great detail, and it will make the case that additional funding is necessary if San Francisco is really serious about achieving the goals of the Climate Action Plan. The letter also makes clear that additional funding is essential if San Francisco wants to maximize uh, our ability to obtain and use federal and state funds to achieve these goals. Uh, I hope you all uh, will agree with me that we need to submit such a letter um, again this year and that this draft is an appropriate uh, start. I want to bring uh, to your consideration, before we discuss it, one potential uh, amendment, uh, which would be uh, a more aggressive conclusion of the letter. The letter currently uh, says something like, um, we would be happy to meet with you, or President Ahn would be happy to meet with the mayor uh, to discuss our concerns. One possibility is to say something like, I will call you next week um, uh, to see if we can schedule a meeting uh, between me and some of my colleagues, but I wasn't sure, President Ahn, whether you would like to go uh, quite that far, or even if you'll be here uh, next week. But uh, I mean, this is a really critical matter. Every year we say it's never been more critical, and that is true again uh, this year. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts. I'm open to that change, and I welcome any more comments or questions from other commissioners. I'm just trying to find the letter. Can we maybe? <laughs> Too long. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm I'm in support of anything that strengthens any of our comments. I mean, this is just like a moment I'm going to take because it might be the last time I talk about these things. Um, you know, it baffles me that we still see unfunded mandates come across this department's desk. You know, it's been years and years and years and years of San Francisco saying that we care about these things and we pass great ordinances and we all believe in them and we're excited about it and then it comes time to fund it and it's like okay you not only do you have to find the funding yourself but you have to pay for the staff time of the people who have to find the funding themselves for this thing that we as a city believe in and then you know I mean that applies to leaf blowing and it applies to the entire climate action plan so you know I'm very in support of very strong language that we need to um, start taking this even more seriously than we started last year. So can, can I respond? I mean, this letter is written in the hope that the mayor will actually do what we 
said. It is probably not as strong as you might like, but if I would certainly second your uh, statement that if the mayor does not respond affirmatively uh, to the budget request, that we should pull out all the stops and, and send another letter that is as blunt and as forthright as you have just been. Do we mean it or not? And if we don't mean it, why don't you tell us and, and we'll behave accordingly. But it's a charade otherwise. I, <clears throat> I read the letter. I think it's a strong letter as is. And I just want to add that I'm also baffled that we say we have a climate emergency. We say this is the biggest crisis facing humanity. And then you look at the budget of this department compared to the city budget and it's laughably how small it is. So we just don't have the resources to do what we've been asked to do. So um, I think this, this letter is a plea to the mayor to do something about it. Um, I think it's a strong letter and I, um, there are ways we can make it even stronger. I'm supportive of that, but I really just wanna get it in the hands of the mayor. Commissioner one. Just a very, very minor comment. This is a great letter. I really appreciate it. The only thing is I wonder if we do need to add that a total we're requesting 6.63 .63 million instead of let them to pick which item to add. Uh, Commissioner Hunter, did you have any other? I was just going to say thank you for taking the pen and drafting this. I think it saves us all not only time but effort. Generally, I think the letter is well articulated and fairly firm already. I'm more of the mindset that let's get this into the hands and if we need to send follow-up, then right. we send follow-up. I think beating the same drum twice would be more impactful than changing some of the verbiage before us now. Um, and as far as Commissioner Wan's comments go about the item, I heard it was about itemization versus total, Commissioner Wan? Yes. Um, do other commissioners have opinions on that or just leave as is? Adding the total? Yeah. Yeah. So if we could do that, change two, I think that'd be great. Uh, any other comments? Yes. Um, so, Commissioner, since this is a, um, Charles Sheehan Policy and Public Affairs, since this is a, kind of agendized document, just to be, you know, really clear on the process, it might be worthwhile to suggest an amendment for Commissioner Wan, and if you agree with Commissioner Wald's approach, because um, those are really easy amendments, um, and you could put it underneath the totals, you have the three bullets with the, t with the um, dollar amounts, and you just put a total colon, and then the 6.7, 6.M, what it is, that could be the first part of the amendment, that's right. easy. And then for the second amendment, per Commissioner Wald's uh, suggestion. It could be something like, on behalf of the commission, comma, and as commission president, comma, I'll be reaching out to you in the next couple of weeks to try and set up a meeting, period. Thank you for your time. And that's a, so if, if you want, you can just literally take that and make that a motion and we can then formally amend it and right. pass and send it to the mayor's office. And can I make that motion? Yes. Yes. So we have a motion that's then. A great suggestion. Charles, thank you. I will second. I'm in a second from Commissioner Sullivan. And with that, let's go to public comment then. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public or president in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. 
And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And see no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Great. Uh, just a point of order. So you have to take public comment on the motion first, vote on the motion, and then take public comment on the full letter. All right. So, so he's already taking public comment on the motion, so the commission can vote on the whether to approve the motion or not. No, Sorry, our, our city attorney is, is out tonight, so. Uh. <laughs> President on? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. And it sounds like we need to do another motion then. No, no, you already have a motion on, on the table from, from the letter already. Uh, so you, that's already a question. You just need to take public comment on, on that. Okay, then let's go to public comment then. Okay, for a comment on the letter, members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item who are in the room today should please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. See no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Let's do a vote on this as well. President on? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. And then the, both motions have passed at this point. So thanks for your comments. And yes, let's see how this goes. Right, next item, please. The next item is item 12, update on climate action plan implementation. The speakers are Cindy Comerford, climate program manager, and Becca Rabin, acting senior strategist for marketing and community engagement. This item is for discussion. Good evening, commissioners. Um, I'm Cindy Comerford, the climate program manager. And today I'm gonna give a very brief update on our progress on the climate action plan. And then I'm gonna turn it over to Becca to hear about our new marketing campaign and website that we launched. And so we can um, go to the next slide, please. So I'm just gonna start with a little bit of background about the Climate Action Plan. I know that you have heard this about 100 times, but for um, a little background information, we'll go into some key accomplishments and updates, and then I'm gonna turn it over to Becca. Next slide. And next slide, please. So as you know, we passed the Climate Action Plan in December of 2021, and the Climate Action Plan has a pathway for the city to be carbon neutral by 2040, and it addresses the six sectors on the slide. Next slide, please. We've also uh, have four key lenses that we look at 
of all of our strategies and actions. So we wanna make sure that we're looking at social and racial equity, health, economic recovery and resilience, um, and also a, a just transition. Next slide. So I'm gonna go over some um, accomplishments. We've heard a little about them this evening and then some updates and then turn it over to Becca. Next slide, please. So earlier this evening, um, we heard about our environmental justice a grant program. That's an exciting program that we got to reactivate. Uh, we heard about our, our grantee, Kana. We're gonna have three more grantees coming to you for approval in March. Um, these are two-year projects for community pilots for building decarbonization that are funded from um, both the ad back funding and the carbon fund. And we also heard earlier a little bit about the Climate Equity Hub. Um, we finished our design process for the Climate Equity Hub last year. Uh, and the Climate Equity Hub would be a one-stop source resource that puts equity and culturally fluent outreach at the center of our city's building electrification efforts. And this year, we released an RFP. That RFP is gonna be open for one more week. Um, and that brings us a step closer to making the Climate Equity Hub a reality. We also heard about our long-term funding study um, that we conducted with our consultants, CLEA, the Center for Law, Energy, and Environment at Berkeley, and Civic Makers. And we identified the CAP as a $22 billion investment that the city needs to make and also identify the most salient uh, strategies for funding and finance. We are going to have a hearing at the Board of Supervisors at the uh, capital, the Budget and um, Finance Committee uh, within the next month, and so we'll be presenting with our consultants and other city departments on trying to move this effort forward. So those are some key accomplishments. If we go to the next slide, just some quick updates real quick. Um, one thing in the spring, we're gonna be uh, releasing our updated 2023 Climate Action Plan. We'll be adding a water supply sector. We have been partnering with the SFPUC on developing this chapter for the Climate Action Plan. We had a public workshop with them in January and we're working on finalizing the strategies and actions and doing our racial equity assessment. We're also in the process of developing our dashboard which would be a publicly available website to track our, our progress and our, our metrics on the Climate Action Plan. And we hope to have that available early this summer. And last but not least, um, we have updated our greenhouse gas inventory and we've made some important model updates to the transporta transportation sector and how we measure VMT, which is our vehicle miles traveled. We now have incorporated more real-time data into that model. And if we're looking at our results for 2020, um, we preliminary look like we have reduced our emissions by 48% since 1990, which is quite an accomplishment. Um, so with that, I'm gonna turn this over to Becca to hear our most exciting update on the Climate Action Plan, which is our campaign and the launch of our new website. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Um, you can go to the next slide. So the two goals of the Climate Action Plan campaign are number one, of course, raise awareness among San Franciscans that the city has a climate action plan, and two, to encourage individuals to do their own climate actions. Next slide. 
So we did a lot of background research as we always do for campaigns. And one thing we did was social media analysis to see what are San Franciscans talking about? And one thing we confirmed was, yes, they do discuss climate change frequently. Next slide. But they get easily discouraged just hearing bad news. Namely, when they hear bad news, they sort of shut down. They don't take action. So we knew going into this campaign that doing messaging around, say, the negative consequences of climate change was not going to get us the behavior change that we're looking for. Next slide. So we knew our messaging had to be encouraging. Next slide. So thanks to you, the plan is working. The first thing that this tagline accomplishes is it acknowledges San Franciscans for the hard work that they've been doing for years. It also hopefully creates hope. There is a plan and it's working. And by somewhat vaguely referring to the plan, we're hoping to spark curiosity the natural thing when you look at this ad is to ask the question, well, what is the plan? Um, next slide. And the answer is, come to our website and find out. Um, next slide. Good news around climate change is rare. So seeing an ad like this stands out. And again, it's back to that hope and optimism in the plan by showing that it's already achieved significant positive results. Next slide. The plan itself is over 300 pages long, so not necessarily readily digestible to the average busy resident. So we made our ads very simple and really focused around individual actions to help residents connect with the larger plan. Um, next slide. We are featuring actions that San Franciscans are already doing or at least beginning to do. Again, so they have that recognition and connection to the ad and then so that they want to learn more. These ads are running in uh, English, Spanish, and Chinese. Uh, the digital channels are Google Performance Max, Meta, and Nextdoor. And then in terms of out of home, they're in bus shelters around the city, um, as well as Muni interiors. Uh, next slide. And then for our in-language ads, those are additionally in local print. Next slide. We created video and radio ads as well in all three languages, and they feature a character who comes from the future. And she goes around and thanks San Francisco residents for the climate actions that they're doing. Next slide. With the tagline, the future thanks you. Again, we're back to acknowledgement, and then also creating that hope. The small actions that we are doing today really do add up to a better future. Um, Kyle, is it possible to play one of our video ads? Thanks for doing this. Doing what? Taking public transit. By 2023, taking fewer car trips had dramatically reduced climate pollution. Wait, are you like a, like a future person? <laughs> Labels. So 2023. <laughs> All right, thank you. Um, 
okay. And then, yeah. Um, and then so all the ads drive traffic to sfclimateplan.org, which is our website. And this website is deliberately not hosted on sfenvironment.org because we wanted to create a neutral standalone space so that when this campaign wraps up, it'll go through the end of April. Um, departments across the city who are also part of the Climate Action Plan can contribute their work to be highlighted. So we can really show the climate work that's going on throughout the city, not just in our department. If it were on our webpage, it looks like the Climate Action Plan is just ours, and we really want to encourage other departments to own it as well. Um, and the dashboard that Cindy mentioned that will have readily accessible data that tracks San Francisco's ongoing progress will also be hosted on this site. Uh, next slide. Uh, on the site currently, we have six user-generated style content videos which feature individual residents doing different climate actions with the option to then click to learn more to get a list of tips and tricks on how to get started. Next slide. We summarized each of the sectors of the Climate Action Plan on the website. If you click on any one of these, you'll get a brief overview of what that sector is. Um, there are many other features on the website. I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, next slide. Um, so the campaign launched yesterday, which we're extremely excited about. And commissioners, we'd love your help sharing it on Instagram and Facebook. Um, also, we're in the process of planning for April Climate Action Month two um, in-language events in uh, Spanish and Chinese to really engage um, Chinese and Spanish speakers in this campaign. We often don't necessarily reach them effectively with many of the digital channels, so we really want to do these in-person engagements in language um, just to have really solid engagements and continue to spread awareness of the Climate Action Plan. So if you have any interest in being a part of those, please reach out to us. We'd love to have you. Um, and that's all. Thank you. I can take any questions if anyone has any. Thank you, Becca. Any questions? One question. Yes. <clears throat> and I'm not sure who this is for, but um, the 48% reduction, greenhouse gas emissions reduction since 1990, uh, almost half, as the marketing says, is that a new number or is that an old number. I'll let Cindy take that. Um, Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager. Um, so as you might remember, we came to the Policy Commission a couple months ago to present on the greenhouse gas inventory. And afterwards, we um, looked at some of our back-end models and realized there were some opportunities to optimize them. So we kind of looked at the vehicle miles traveled, and it was using a very outdated model, and we were able to up that, update that to use more real-time data. And so that 48% is the outcome of the update to the greenhouse gas inventory, and it's a new number that we'll be releasing shortly. And do you know what the old number was? 42%. Wow. That's, that's impressive. I, I love... We have these audacious goals and, and carbon neutral by, by uh, 2040. I do want to caveat that. So 2020 was a pandemic year. So it's probably not our, um, <laughs> our, our typical um, driving and consumption patterns. And so while it's great news, um, it may change in our next upcoming inventory. Well, thank you for keeping us current on, on the number. We look forward to future progress. Thank you.
Yes, Commissioner Hunter. Cindy, before you walk away, one quick question. Um, for the metrics dashboard, I just wanted to uh, confirm when you think that would go live. I know there was a lot of interdepartmental coordination that needs to happen there, um, but curious to hear your thoughts. I think we're on track for the summer. We've been doing, we have the consultant on board is actually the same consultant that did our website is going to um, help us with that. And so we have a pretty tight timeline and a lot of the metrics and the um, indicators have been identified within the climate action plan. So now it's all about the data collection and having kind of that um, web presence. So we're hoping that we can accomplish that in the next six months. Great, thank you. Uh, yes, Vice President Stevenson. Um, first off, I think the ads are great, and I think the site looks fantastic, and I can't wait to go, you know, pro about it and send it around to people. So congratulations on that. Um, the budget meeting, the budget committee meeting with the Board of Soups. Do we have any um, thought on how we think that's going to go in terms of? Because isn't that the next step to get us toward twenty-two billion dollars through a tax initiative? So the goal of the meeting is to highlight the report. So we'll have uh, UC Berkeley come present with us. And then there's going to be other city departments that can provide their, their comments on the report and how we're trying to move forward with that. So I'm not 100% certain of the outcomes, but it's really an opportunity to highlight the cost of the Climate Action Plan, the different funding strategies available, and how other city departments are um, trying to move that forward or not. And um, is, the, is there an ask happening at that, or is it just? It's gonna be informational. And the, you know, the supervisors could um, make some recommendations uh, based on the hearing. All right, great, and I just wanna thank Becca for all her great work putting the marketing campaign, um, and, and Kara, it's, it's a pretty, it's our first marketing campaign ever, and it's pretty exciting to see it launch. I personally really enjoyed that ad. Um, Commissioner Hunter, nothing else? Seeing no other discussion, then this is just a discussion-only item. Um, if we could move to public comment. All right, seeing no members of the public in the room today, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. See no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Uh, great. The next item, please. The next item is item 13, review and vote on resolution file 2023-03-COE, resolution encouraging the adoption of ordinance 221-223, updated changes to chapter 7 of the Environment Code. The sponsor is Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager. The speaker is Edna Brookman. Senior Green Building Coordinator. The explanatory document is resolution file 2023-03-COE. This item is for discussion and possible action. Cindy again. Great, Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager. So I have the great honor of introducing the next item, which is the update to chapter seven of the Environment Code, which is our Municipal Green Building Ordinance. So this legislation is scheduled to be heard at committee March 1st and we would love your support in the form of a resolution. 
So the update uh, to this ordinance is really about transforming the way we design, construct, and retrofit municipal buildings. And this will help us meet our both our um, operational carbon and embodied carbon goals. And although municipal buildings are a small fraction of our emissions, it's very important that government is a leader in this space and it will help us with the transformative actions we need to decarbonize our private building stock. So with that, I'd like to introduce Eden Bruckman, who will give this evening's presentation. Thank you, Cindy, and good evening, commissioners. Eden Bruckman, Senior Green Building Coordinator at the Environment Department, and I'm also the chair of the Assemble Green Building Task Force, which is the advisory body that worked on the content for this update. For those of you who are not as familiar with the task force, it's comprised of representatives from 20 different departments and divisions throughout the city, as well as a public member appointed by the mayor. So thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight to share the proposed update to Environment Code Chapter 7. This is the municipal green building requirements that are in addition to the San Francisco Green Building Code, and they can apply to any planning, design, construction, deconstruction, or demolition activity performed by a city department or on city-owned property. Next slide. So there are several reasons why an update to Environment Code Chapter 7 is timely. First, as been discussed this evening, we have an accelerated climate action goal to target net zero carbon as a city by 2040. This will require the equipment and systems in our municipal building stock to be retrofitted, while also being mindful of their greater environmental footprint. Second, Chapter 7 currently has content that overlaps with other chapters of the Environment Code that's no longer congruous. This is an opportunity for us to reference other chapters in the Environment Code rather than repeat them. In addition, the U.S. Green Building Council released LEED version 4.1 in 2019, and that simplified some documentation requirements for the credits without compromising their intent. Many of our project teams are already opting to substitute version 4.1 credits into their projects. Because of the way that the documentation has been streamlined, this also makes it possible for us to introduce new credits with other themes into the code. And third, this is a chance for us to simplify and refine language. We are proposing a complete restructuring to make it easier for people to find content and to ensure that it's only mentioned in one location. Next. The Environment Department spearheaded a comprehensive engagement and outreach effort to raise awareness and solicit feedback from stakeholders. The code update was the focus of publicly held Municipal Green Building Task Force meetings from October 2020 to July 2021, at which time task force members voted unanimously to recommend the draft as substantively complete for advancement toward adoption. SFE hosted a dozen meetings with other departments' leadership to walk through proposed updates and address any concerns. We also participated in more than 50 workshops and presentations on various aspects of the proposed code update to local, national, and global audiences. Next. So here you can see the proposed reorganization of Chapter 7. Essentially, we're collapsing 15 existing sections into six. Findings, definitions, roles and responsibilities, applicability, requirements, and waivers. The design and process requirements for municipal construction project teams are in the proposed section 704. These requirements fall under five themes. 
green building rating systems, energy optimization, responsible production and consumption, human and environmental health, and water conservation. Next slide. There are expanded requirements or new metrics in each of the five theme areas, and here are some of those that are most notable. Energy resilience is about ensuring operation of our buildings in case of an outage or disaster so that they can continue to provide shelter and other needs to our residents. Waste prevention changes the way that tenant improvement projects calculate discards and material recovery by first placing a cap on the amount of waste allowed to be generated per square foot. Embodied carbon reduction strategies are about helping project teams better understand the greenhouse gas emissions attributed to the life cycle of the products they use. A new toxics reduction requirement is to hold manufacturers accountable for the chemical substances used to make products to then eliminate human and environmental hazards. And the biodiversity guidelines completed by the city's biodiversity work group are best practices for project teams to follow. Next slide. There are three proposed requirements that have the largest potential financial impact, and each aligns with at least one commitment in the 2021 Climate Action Plan as indicated on this slide. First is for efficient and all-electric equipment to be installed as natural gas equipment is retired or fails over time. If the electric service infrastructure needs to be upgraded based on that scope of work, it should accommodate the building's future electrification needs. Second is for new construction or major renovations of critical community institutions to install battery storage to accommodate their emergency energy loads. This is often about 10% of the building's overall demand. A critical community institution is defined as a building that's necessary for providing vital societal and individual functions, including public safety facilities, health clinics, community centers, libraries, and emergency management facilities. Battery storage is also an option for other new construction or major renovations to support energy efficiency and decrease grid dependency. And those project teams must choose from one of four of options for compliance. Third is for the project teams to use life cycle assessment. This is a methodology for evaluating the environmental impacts of a product or process from its origin all the way to its final disposal. And this can lead to better design and, dis and construction choices. Next slide. Drilling down a bit into the known cost impacts, you can see that the proposed requirement with the largest associated additional cost is the time of replacement equipment electrification. By far the most expensive aspect of this work is related to the interconnection charges because of the interface between SFPUC and PG&E and the possible need for primary switchgear due to PG&E's interconnection rules. According to SFPUC, this can increase the cost per project between $300,000 and $2.5 million. As for direct equipment and installation costs, the additional cost per building can range from $160,000 and $440,000. These estimates are based on a study completed by Arup in October for SFE that evaluated the existing equipment in five municipal buildings and priced specific replacements for each. Unfortunately, though, there are still some gaps in cost information for this item because every building is different and will have unique circumstances. Unknown additional costs might be related to architectural or engineering design and construction for additional coordination, structural upgrades, space constraints, or evaluation of emergency power capacity. For battery storage, 
Costs for the estimated amount needed to accommodate energy demand range from $160,000 to $270,000. This is based on studies published by and for the California Energy Commission. And for life cycle assessment, costs are approximately $15,000 to $20,000 per project to comply with the lead credit expectations. The estimate here is based on interviews with local green building consultants and architecture firms providing this service. Next slide. It's worthwhile to note that while some of these costs are additive now, there are new and proposed laws at the regional and state level that are already raising the floor for everyone and not just San Francisco's municipal projects. The Bay Area Air Quality Management District has proposed an amendment to Regulation 9, Rule 6, which bans the sale or installation of the same equipment we are targeting in 2027 for water heaters, 2029 for furnaces, and 2031 for large commercial heaters. The Air District Board of Directors will conduct a public hearing to consider adoption of the proposed amendments on March 15th of this year. I also mentioned that the California Energy Commission performed a cost impact analysis for battery storage. And this is because the 2022 California Energy Code has solar plus storage requirements. So that has an effective date of January 1st of this year. The amount of battery storage per the Energy Code will probably be less than what's included in our proposal for Chapter 7 because this one, this will be in one aspect of the project team's performance path to meet their per square foot compliance metric for energy efficiency and clean energy delivery. The CEC version does impact some building types that will be in the municipal portfolio, but it's also broader and a bit different than our designated critical community institutions. So it includes grocery, high-rise multifamily, office, retail, school, warehouse, auditorium, convention centers, hotels, libraries, medical office buildings and clinics, restaurants, and theaters. With respect to the life cycle assessment, the Cal Green Carbon Reduction Collaborative, led by the State Architect's Office, and on which I am a member, is putting forth a proposal to the pre-cycle to include life cycle assessment and other embodied carbon reduction activities. If approved, these will go into effect in July 2024 and would be expanded further for the 2025 code that would have an effective date of January 1st, 2026. The California Building Standards Commission is meeting this week to discuss and recommend actions for this item. Next. Sometimes, despite best efforts, compliance is not possible. And when that happens, we have a long-standing waiver request process for project teams to follow. This is another instance where the Municipal Green Building Task Force gets involved. Project teams present the request to the task force and explain the situation. The task force then makes a recommendation to the director of the department, who in turn approves or rejects the request. Waiver approvals often come with conditions, such as ongoing reporting or demonstrating other ways to meet the intent of the requirement. Since 2012, there have been 26 waivers from some aspect of the Environment Code, Chapter 7. But note, there have been no waiver requests to date because of requirements were cost prohibitive. Next slide. Finally, there are many ways for project teams to receive support to ensure that municipal construction projects are set up for success. SFE's Green Building Program staff review lead scorecards and provide inform informal advice. And we also help coordinate interagency communications to address outstanding questions or concerns.
We maintain the GS6 form that the Department of Building Inspection uses to track the green building design elements. And this happens to be a useful cliff notes summary that project teams use to make sure that all design elements are incorporated. To complement that GS6 form, SFE has published a process checklist that helps teams tr keep track of the various to-do items in Chapter 7, such as registering their project with the U.S. Green Building Council or developing that material reduction and recovery plan. And because Chapter 7 references many outside sources for requirements for documentation expectations, SFE now has a resource webpage with links to each item. Next slide. Again, thank you for this time this evening, and I'm happy to address any questions you might have. Thank you. Yes, Commissioner Sullivan. Um, yeah, Eden, one comment and one question. So um, the comment is just, this is a lot of work. To, to redo legislation and, and, and statutes is just a lot of work, and even if, um, you know, and especially streamlining it and, and doing all the things that you described. So um, big thank you to you, you and, and the team at the department for doing it. My question is about the, um, the cost of equipment replacement, which is the biggest cost element in the, in the changes. Um, I wonder if electrification of a building creates ongoing savings in the same way that an EV is more expensive up front, but then it saves you money over, over the long run as you use the EV. Is that, does a building, can building owners save money by electrifying or, or not? opposed to gas? Yes, they can, and it really depends on how they approach the building. And so we would recommend that projects that are retrofitting to be all electric look at those energy efficiency savings first. So it makes a lot of sense to look at the envelope, to look at insulation, to be thinking about the way that the building operates, and to right-size equipment as well as some of these more passive systems first. And then when you electrify, you can either benefit from on-site on generation, which is already mandated through our Better Roofs Ordinance, which also helps with savings. Um, or it's projected that the natural gas costs are going up a lot faster, and we're already seeing that, than proposed electricity costs. So there's a lot of different ways that they can benefit long-term. That might be part of the messaging as we, as we go out and talk about these changes, if we're talking about the costs, maybe the, the ongoing savings are, could be part of the messaging. Thank you for that. Comments, questions? Seeing none, thank you for your work, Eden. Uh, I believe this is an action item, so we'll need a motion. I'll move approval. Uh, motion from Commissioner second. Sullivan, uh, second from Vice President Stevenson. And hearing no further discussion, let's go to public comment. Seeing no members of the public in the room today, we'll proceed to, to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. See no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. All right, please call the roll. President on? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. And the motion passes. Thanks again, Eden. Next item, please.
Right, the next item is item 14, review and vote on whether to approve the Commission on the Environment 2022 Annual Report. The speaker is Kyle Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory document is the draft Commission on the Environment 2022 Annual Report. This item is for discussion and possible action. So commissioners, as you know, it's a statutory obligation that the commission prepare an annual report, which I'm gonna share on my screen here, just one moment. This report serves as a record of the commission's activities and achievements over the previous year, and it can help us set the stage for the year ahead. The operations committee reviewed the report last month, and tonight we are bringing it to the full commission for its approval. I'm going to go through the report page by page. If you have any questions, please let me know. Before we get started, I'd like to thank Mark Nicholas, our graphic designer, um, and also Commissioner Wald, who has once again lent us her time and her keen eye for detail in helping us proofread the report, which we appreciate very much. So you'll see here, this is the cover page. This is the draft of the end report for 2022. The structure of the report is somewhat standard from year to year, even as the content evolves. Compared to the annual report for 2021, we were able to provide more photos um, from commission meetings and other in-person events, which we're happy about. Something we have struggled with a little bit is that we still don't have a photo of all seven commissioners together. <laughs> um, since we did return to in-person meetings this previous March, we've had at each of our meetings at least one commissioner who was either excused or who participated remotely for a COVID-related reason. So while we don't have a photo of all seven commissioners together for this year's report, um, we're confident we'll have one for 2023. Here we have the letter from the commission president. Since there were no appointments or reappointments to the commission in 2022, we're omitting the traditional section on reappointments. Funding the cap implementation was a major focus of the commission in 2022. And it's something that we highlight here. It's also a focus of President Ahn's letter. Among the commission's milestones that are highlighted in the report, we detail the commission's work on the environment department director recruitment process. We detail the commission's focus on capital implementation and the status of key implementation steps. At the December commission meeting, uh, the commission also heard a presentation laying the foundation for a potential uh, reusable foodware policy for on-site dining, something we expect to be a priority for 2023. So we highlight that here as well. We've highlighted the commission's focus on overseeing the implementation of recommendations from the controller's preliminary assessment and strengthening oversight of department administrative processes around contracts and grants. We'll also spotlight racial equity work and the department's branding refresh, items the commission uh, discussed at the September meeting. Uh, commissioners also completed a demographic survey in 2021, which is a requirement of our racial equity action plan. And we've included a summary of the survey results here. And since the composition of the commission didn't change um, from 2022, or from 2021 rather, this is the same data featured in the previous report. We also recapped the activities of the various committees, including the ad hoc committee overseeing the director recruitment process. We also detail the recipients of the Environmental Service Awards, and we're very happy that we were able to get several portraits of the commissioners uh, with the awardees last year. This is the legislative summary for the full commission. And for transparency, we have also detailed gifts to the Environment Department over the past fiscal year that were reviewed by the commission. Uh, these gifts were also reported by the department to the Board of Supervisors 
and to the controller's office. And uh, President An, as we like to say, is our artist in residence. And we're very uh, delighted to be able to feature some of his artwork here once again. Wow. So um, again, we certainly appreciate commissioners making some of their photos available for this report. It makes it a little bit more personable and uh, presentable for us. So this is the draft report for 2022. I'll pause now and see if there are any questions. Beautiful. Well, well done again to Mark Nicholas too for always doing a great job with the design. Uh, we approve the report. We have a motion from Vice President Stevenson. A second? Second. Uh, second from Commissioner Wan. Uh, with that, let's do public comment. Okay, seeing no members of the public in the room today, we'll proceed through remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Roll call vote, please. President on? Aye. Vice President Stevenson. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. And the motion passes, the report passes. So thank you and next item. The next item is item 15, director's report. The speaker is Tyrone Chu, acting director. The explanatory document is the director's report. This item is for discussion. Commissioners, uh, I will once again be extremely brief on this item for my report. Uh, I did want to pick up where Eden mentioned in the last item. One of my hats I have to wear is I'm the mayor's appointee to the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. And so uh, as she correctly noted, we are considering a new rule uh, on restricting the sale of gas appliances within the nine county Bay Area. Uh, very much in line with everything we're moving forward here locally, the direction the state is moving and indicated as far as their path. Um, but it's clear that we need to be drivers of this market transformation that we wanna create. And so I think we're showing leadership here on a local level, on a regional level, and obviously the state is doing what they need to do. Uh, one thing to note is that at your upcoming meeting on March 28th and then on May 23rd, uh, you will be getting a presentation from the controller's office and our staff on the refuse rate application process. So as we recall uh, in the last election under Proposition F, it changed the administration of the rate setting process uh, with Recology. Uh, our staff has been very deeply engaged with the controller's office and with the Recology um, through starting in January. And we're gonna be giving you an update at your next meeting and then in May on the progress of uh, what we're setting for our zero waste priorities and also uh, what's gonna be in the rate application itself. And so look forward to that. Uh, Another initiative that I want to make the commission aware of is uh, this, it's right now called the Reimagining SF Initiative, which is very broad, uh, but it's an initiative organized by the California Academy of Sciences in partnership with the Department of Environment. So we've been organizing uh, key actors within our local and regional ecological and biodiversity uh, uh, system to potentially launch a new citywide campaign to kind of organize all of our efforts around how we enhance kind of our urban greening and also our biodiversity within the city. And so we had a 
day-long meeting on Friday to kind of work out uh, organizational structure, how this is all gonna work, fundraising. And so I think in the direction we're headed, we should hopefully have something to announce uh, within the next couple months on this initiative, so very exciting. We did convene a meeting with the electric vehicle working group uh, with a bunch of different city departments on January 30th. Uh, something also of note is that if you have not heard, the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation event is coming to San Francisco in November. Uh, this is going to be a major event. Uh, I participated in a briefing on February 1st, and the equivalent I was uh, that was really told to everyone that was gathered there was, we haven't seen a gathering of heads of states from the international community like this or of visiting kind of uh, leaders since the 1984 Democratic National Convention. So that's how massive this event is going to be in November. It's completely going to turn our city upside down in a good way uh, in terms of the amount of activity that's going to be generated and buzz. So you'll have President Biden here, Vice President Harris, uh, you'll have uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and every uh, heads of state from the Asia Pacific region uh, gathered here in San Francisco. And guess what the theme is? It's sustainability and inclusion. Uh, so it's a perfect opportunity, hopefully, to highlight all the work we're doing here in San Francisco during that time, and hopefully we'll have a, a good message uh, uh, to share. Uh, last thing, a couple of things I'll note. One, I'll be giving a presentation. We're continuing to do outreach around our long-term funding needs. Uh, so I have a presentation with the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce on Valentine's Day. That will be my Valentine's Day gift uh, to our business partners. And I'll also be presenting to our San Francisco Hotel Council uh, a couple weeks afterwards. So we're continuing to try to get our word out there around the urgency around our work and also the need to support our funding requests. Uh, lastly, I will just highlight the amazing work uh, you heard from Becca. It's not just about the marketing campaign. We are uh, in the community. Uh, we had a successful tabling at the Central Subway opening event and at the Wu Yi Children's Services Baby event. And we had like over 900 conversations a lot of them uh, in language conversations in Chinese and other languages. So we're continuing to do on-the-ground outreach. Uh, we're gonna be doing a tabling at the uh, CYC Lunar New Year's Festival event and the Cal Academy Family Night uh, coming up. And lastly, we had an amazing, if you didn't see the uh, NPR story or media article, we had a great story about our fix-it clinics that we've been doing at all of our local libraries. Uh, so far, we've prepared 43 bikes and 65 clothing items. Uh, the event has received a lot of media attention. We got covered by NPR uh, and our local papers, and it's been a huge hit uh, with everyone in the city. And I'll conclude my report there. Thank you, Acting Director Ju. Any discussion or questions? Very exciting about the upcoming summit in November, too. So with that, uh, let's go to public comment. Seeing no members of the public in the room today, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Great. Next item then, please. The next item is item 16, committee reports. This item is for discussion. 
Uh, we'll start, I believe, with um, the policy committee. Uh, Commissioner Sullivan. Very short report. The policy committee has not met since November 14th, and our next meeting is scheduled for Monday, February 13th at 5 p.m. Very easy. Uh, Commissioner Wan, Operations Committee. Sure, very briefly, the Operations Committee last met on January 9th. We heard three presentations, including a presentation on the proposed Environment Department fiscal year 2023 to 24 budget and priorities. We also have an update on plans for the Environment Department website and also a presentation on the draft 2022 Commission Annual Report, which we have reviewed just like the two items ago. And then the next Operation Committee meeting will be held on Wednesday, April 19, 2023 at 5 p.m. Thanks. And finally, the search committee. Uh, the search committee has not met since November 21st, 2022, when we then opened up the application process, which just concluded about mm, a week to two weeks ago. And our next search committee uh, meeting is upcoming. It's scheduled for Thursday, February 9th at 5 p.m. Uh, at this meeting, the committee expects to review the applications for the Environment Department Director of Position and determine finalists to interview. And so that's where we're at. Any other comments or discussion on committee reports? If not, let's go to public comment. Seeing no members of the public in the room today, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And see no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. The next item is item 17, update on format of commission on the environment meetings. The speaker is Kyle Wainer, Commission Affairs Officer. The explanatory document is the memo regarding legal rules governing remote participation by members of policy bodies and meetings beginning March 1st, 2023. This item is for discussion and possible action. Commissioners, this is a very high-level uh, memo, um, or update, rather, of public meeting requirements for the commission. You'll find much more detailed information in the city attorney's memo. So for the previous three years, special rules introduced in response to the COVID-19 public health emergency have governed <coughs> meetings of city policy bodies, and the big picture takeaway is that those rules are now coming to an end. The governor has announced that the statewide emergency order he declared on March 4th of 2020 will conclude on February 28th. The mayor's orders regarding the conduct of policy body meetings will also terminate at the end of February. So this means that the commission will be going back to the future, so to speak, with the new requirements largely mirroring the pre-COVID-19 rules. So starting March 1st, commissioners will be required to attend all meetings, uh, including committee meetings in person. In addition, commissioners may no longer attend the meeting remotely due to a COVID-19 related reason, uh, which had been permitted under the emergency order. So even as we say goodbye to remote meetings as a rule, <laughs> uh, there are still some exceptions. However, commissioners on parental leave may attend meetings remotely. Uh, there's also a Brown Act teleconference provision enacted in 2022 that provides additional opportunities for remote attendance in quote, emergency circumstances. However, there are limits on how often a commissioner can evoke an emergency uh, to attend the meeting remotely. In addition, if a commissioner has a disability and the disability limits or precludes in-person attendance,
then the city must make a reasonable accommodation to allow for remote participation. So requests for reasonable accommodation can be submitted to the Department of Human Resources for its determination there. And just a couple other noteworthy items. Um, these requirements apply to commissioners only, so they do not apply to department staff or external presenters. Um, also, the commission is no longer required to support remote public comment um, or otherwise incorporate WebEx into its public meetings. So there are really two main questions before the commission on this matter tonight. Uh, first, whether to continue to use WebEx to allow for remote presentations and public comment. Um, and the second being where to hold our committee meetings. So on the first question, the department does recommend continuing to use WebEx. Um, this helps to pr promote accessibility. And on the second question, we do recommend using the Environment Department Office Conference Room as the location for committee meetings um, for a couple reasons. You know, first, the department's office is publicly accessible. We're right at the Civic Center BART station. Um, and our conference room is outfitted, we believe, to support WebEx if the commission um, does wish to continue to use the hybrid format for its meetings. Um, and second, there are various issues with meeting rooms in City Hall. The commission had previously used room 421 to host its committee meetings. Um, however, microphones and other recording equipment have been removed from this room and likely will not be reinstalled um, for at least six months. Um, in addition, the other city rooms, um, city hall meeting rooms, um, such as the one we're in right now, that are outfitted to support public meetings are in very high demand. Um, other commissioners, um, other commissions and public bodies are in a similar situation as the Environment Commission um, and will likely be quite difficult to reserve um, one of the normal meeting rooms for the commission's regular committee meetings. So those are our recommendations. These are, of course, issues that are up to the commission and its discretion. I'll pause now and see if there are any questions. Uh, quick question. Do we have a sense of what other commissions are doing too, in terms of remote public comment in particular? That's, um, that's kind of the major existential question that all public bodies in the city are grappling with right now. There was a very informative discussion with um, Deputy City Attorney John Gibner um, and other commission secretaries about two weeks ago on this very issue. Um, the city attorney's office um, at that meeting was reluctant to provide guidance one way or another about incorporating WebEx into meetings to enable remote public comment. That's really at the commission's discretion. Um, the Department of Technology, however, has committed to continuing to support WebEx for any commission that wants to go down that path. Any other thoughts or comments oh yes vice president stevenson yeah i mean i think that um while allowing members of the public to you know participate in the meeting remotely um has certainly caused a little bit more time you know in terms of the time lapse for meeting i think that the intention of these bodies is to allow the public an opportunity to participate in government and i like the recommendation by the department to keep the webex portion for um, remote public comment in the meetings and i support that um, in terms of the putting the operations and the policy committee meetings in the department um, offices my question on that is do we feel like there's one of the nice things about being at City Hall is there's security. We feel, you know, feel comfortable that we can all be here and know that we have access to the things that we need here. And I just want to make sure that we feel as confident with the department um, in that same way if we were going to open it up to public meetings. 
Yeah, and thank you for the question, uh, Commissioner Stevenson. I'm happy to address that a little bit. Um, it's something that we checked in with our um, kind of security team at the Environment Department office on. Um, they have given us the kind of go ahead that this is something that is an option on the table. Um, you know, any folks attending the meeting, be it commissioners or members of the public, would just need to check in with security and we would give security a heads up in advance of any meeting that's being uh, you know, occurring in our office. Uh, Charles Sheehan, uh, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer through the chair. Um, the smaller committee meetings didn't leave us with a lot of good options because getting a hold of one of these rooms is next to impossible. So we're just, we wouldn't be able to do it. And then 421, we had to fight to get that room, but it's not WebEx enabled. And so we could jury rig a WebEx. It would be an amateur jury rig. It may not be feasible. So we do have some nice big conference rooms in the department that are WebEx capable. But, and we checked with security downstairs. They don't see it as an issue. Um, so I, I think if, we, if the commission decides to move forward with that option, I think we should consider it a little bit of a trial run to see how it goes. And if it goes well, we may want to update our bylaws because um, our bylaws say we're meeting at City Hall, et cetera. And so every time we meet in there, it's got to be a special meeting. And so it's a 10-day post. And that's fine. We can get around that. So I, there's will be a little, bit, a little bit of testing out. And I'm not concerned about the WebEx component for in the Environment Department. I'm concerned about a little bit just about logistics, people coming upstairs, people entering the department. That's what, that's what we need to work through. And so if you decide to move in that direction, There'll be a couple of months where we'll work through and we'll report back how it's going. Uh, yes, uh, Commissioner Well, Thank you. Um, I'm uh, with Commissioner Stevenson in terms of making these meetings WebEx uh, accessible or no, remotely accessible uh, to members of the public. But I do have to say, I think WebEx is awful. Uh, it, it's uh, it's clunky, it's um, uh, demeaning uh, to people who are trying to participate, and it's just not a, uh, a friendly uh, technology. Must we use WebEx, or is there any possibility <coughs> that we could use some other platform uh, to enable people to participate in our meetings? I'm happy to address that, Commissioner, and thank you for the question. Um, there are alternative um, software systems that we can use. Some commissions, I believe, have used Zoom. Um, the Department of Technology has recommended using WebEx um, for several reasons, including the way that um, kind of a member of the public appears during public comment and kind of order the, orders them in a certain list format. So it's clear if someone has already spoken for public comment on uh, on an item being considered by the commission. Um, so we, we you know we can certainly take a look at other options. Um, most commissions that we're aware of do use WebEx for remote public comment, um, and that is again the software that um, the Department of Technology has confirmed their um, they will continue to offer assistance with. That's awful. <laughs> However, yeah. I had to do a couple of these meetings via WebEx, and it, and it wasn't fun. It just wasn't fun. And if we could have something where at least you could see the person, you know, that's, to me, that's one of the big advantages of Zoom, is that people um, 
can be seen uh, by the people to whom they are speaking. And, and I think it makes those people feel a whole lot better about uh, their participation <coughs> in these meetings. Oh, I'll say. Uh, through the chair, I mean, as we're in this phase of experimentation, I think we're happy to try it out. There's, there's, not, there's no rule saying we can't use Zoom or we can't use Teams or, or whatever else uh, we want to use. So I might suggest we pilot a couple different ones just to see how that goes. And then we can select what seems to make the most sense based on our meeting, our cadence of public comment, and also just uh, what people feel comfortable with. And I did want to note one other thing, an option that the commission has at their discretion is the time. So it's not just the place. So if there was a, an afternoon time that the commission would like to meet, you can, you're certainly able to choose that as another variable uh, in your consideration. One other thought has come to mind. If we offer remote public comment during just a general comment section, is that an option versus item specific? comment uh, remotely? Uh, that's a good question, Commissioner. I think we might need to check in with the city attorney on that. Um, th that's something that we'll explore. And yeah. more generally, the reason why I'm thinking of this as a potential option is streamlining the meetings would be nicer, but I also hear you know, um, uh, the need to make our meetings as accessible as possible, and I think that might be a compromise of sorts. But again, it's something I, I definitely want to uh, uh, keep in mind that we have we are in an ecosystem. So if everybody's just doing you know remote public comment all the time, I think the Commission on the Environment can also follow the ecosystem. Yes, uh, Commissioner. Uh, generally, two quick thoughts. I would also support having a remote participation option throughout the entire meeting. It's more accessible for people with disabilities, kids work nine to five, and unfortunately, one option to give public comment at the start of the meeting might not work if something comes up because a kid got into something that they shouldn't have at that moment. Um, more opportunities to participate, I think, is a foundation of City Hall and something we should strive towards. Um, on the 12 o'clock uh, time or shifting to an afternoon, I've tried to go to a planning commission meeting in the middle of the day. Good luck, goodbye. Um, shifting the time I think is something we should be sensitive to overall. Um, and then just finally on the logistics for the office, those barriers to entry you're describing, Charles, I think are real concerns that need to be worked out. I am fairly certain it is a Brown Act violation to ask somebody to sign in for any public meetings and provide their full name. So I, if the security is going to require people to check in, that will also need to be figured out. All right, Commissioner Wald, yes. Uh, on the timing issue, I, I just wanna say, I think I'm correct in remembering that the commission has always met at five o'clock as a means of encouraging people uh, to attend. It's much easier to have people come if it's after their regular working hours. And so that's, that's the reason why we have uh, kept that time throughout the history uh, of the organization. Uh, just very brief comment. Yes, Commissioner quick. Um, I support that to keep the time at 5 p.m. just to keep the consistency of our meetings. I think the other part is that I also felt like to have remote access for our comments is very crucial to increase accessibility to our meeting. 
I do have concern about uh, safety concern uh, to have meeting at the um, SFM Hellman office uh, during nighttime. So I would like to do a site visit if possible um, to hire before we start the trial, just personal safety, yeah. I don't believe this is an action item, is it? Yeah, it's just discussion as of now. Yep. Um, uh, this is a. Action. Thank you, Commissioner. This is a discussed and possible action. The commission, of course, is not obligated to make a motion on anything related to this item, though. I'm okay with waiting, not taking actual action as of now, because I feel like so much is in flux. When is the next committee meeting? That's a good question. Um, the next uh, full commission meeting, Commissioner? I know full commission meeting will be March and it will be in City week. Hall, but how about the committee meeting? Um, we do have a policy committee meeting scheduled for next week. We also have a search committee meeting scheduled um, this coming Thursday. Um, the next um, policy meeting, I believe, would be scheduled on March 15th, and then there's an operations committee meeting in April. Um, but the, those February smaller committee meetings can and will be virtual because the deadline is March 1st. Yeah. So, so the, the upcoming meetings over the next two or three weeks are all going to be virtual. But that means that we have to make a decision before March, or March 15th 19th or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, so if I may, I think we've heard some, some feedback here. Um, I think we've heard that there is a desire to keep going with WebEx maybe to pilot um, some other forms of um, um, virtual meetings. Um, the full commission meeting, there's no real action there. We'll just continue with, with WebEx because that's with DTIS. But for the smaller committee meetings, um, I think we've got a couple of action items. The one is to do a site visit with Commissioner, Commissioner Wan. Um, and we can report back uh, to the commission on that um, potentially in March. Um, and from there, we can revisit this topic and see how we feel. We can also, you know, talk through logistics. Um, I think that's what I'm kind of recommending at this time. So will the March policy committee meeting be held in a city hall? Like, do we have a room already done for city hall? Um, because of the abundance of, uh, and I was going to get to that in new business, because of the abundance of, um, our committee meetings, and we may have a special commission meeting in March for the um, director search. Uh, we already talked about preliminary canceling that policy meeting, so that does buy us some time. So then, the next real committee meetings would be in April, and so we can revisit this a little bit at the uh, at the March uh, commission meeting. Comments, questions? If not, do we, do we need to take action to take no action? Nope. <laughs> um, public comment then. All right. I see no members of the public in the room tonight. Uh, we'll make. We'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. I see no callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. All right. Uh, we are getting close to the end. Next item, uh, new business and future agenda items.
Great. The speaker is Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. This item is for discussion. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Charles Sheehan, um, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. For um, I'm going to recap because some of the meeting dates have already been mentioned. I think February 9th is our uh, next search committee um, meeting. Then February 13th is um, our next policy subcommittee meeting. There is likely going to be a follow-up search committee, search committee meeting in later February. I do not have a date for that yet. Um, March 14th will, I think, is the tentative date for a special commission meeting um, related to the director search that is not 100% final yet, but that is what we're um, shooting for. And of course, we have to get a room at City Hall, and that's what makes those um, uh, meetings a little tricky when they're special. Um, then there's a regular meeting of the uh, full commission on March 28th, and then the next operations meeting is April 19th. So a lot is happening over the next uh, month and a half. Um, at the uh, March 28th um, commission meeting, um, it was already mentioned, but the big substantive item for discussion is a presentation in the refuse rate setting process. Um, and so that will probably be the largest agenda item for that meeting. Uh, do we, does anyone have any questions? I'm sorry, for the special meeting, yeah. uh, is that for the full commission or only the committee? Yeah, the March 14th potential, not yet scheduled, special commission meeting, it would be for the full commission and it would be related to the director search. Sorry, that's scheduled at five again. Uh, theoretically, yes. But again, that's the tentative date that has not been 100% set. Thank you. Any other questions, comments? Seeing none, public comment, please. So you know, members of the public in the room tonight will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, next item, please. All right, the next item is item 19, nomination and election of Commission on the Environment President and Vice President. This item is for discussion and possible action. Uh, Kyle, could you provide a brief summary of this process? Thank you, President Ahn. Uh, we will begin with the presidency and will accept nominations for this position only. After nominations and discussion, there will be public comment and a vote. Uh, then we will repeat the process for the position of vice president, including nominations, discussions, and public comment and a vote. Commissioners can nominate themselves. Nominations do not require a second in order for the commission to vote on a nomination. Are there any questions regarding the process for um, election of the president and vice president positions? Okay, seeing no questions, the commission will now entertain nominations for the position of president. Uh, yes, Commissioner Wong. Uh, I would like to uh, nominate our current president, Eddie Ahn, to serve another term uh, as president. I think he has done a great job uh, this year in a, in a year uh, that... Uh, we knew was going to be critical and important even before we knew we were going to have to be searching for a new executive director. 
I think his calm demeanor and his thoughtful approach to every issue has ensured that we've had steady leadership when we've needed it um, the most. His political savvy and strategic sense have been invaluable as we have had to face new and unprecedented challenges in the past year. And last but not least, I think his focus on environmental justice has helped ensure that that element of the department's work has remained the priority that we all um, want it to be. I think we've been really lucky to have Eddie as our president this past year, and I think we're going to need his strengths and his skills in the coming year even more than we've needed them this year. So I hope you'll all join me in supporting him uh, as our president for at least one more year. And I'll, I'll say thank you for those uh, really kind words, Commissioner Wald. And um, one thing I, I would, if uh, uh, fellow commissioners do want me to serve as president is actively think about succession too. Uh, hopefully it's not just me being you know, president all the time. In other words, um, having other people serve in this role is really important to me too. Commissioner Wald said. <laughs> <laughs> Did that count as a motion? <laughs> <laughs> Nomination. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that said, um, there's a nomination on the floor now. Um, any other discussion? If not, we can move to public comment. Public comment. Great. And seeing no members of the public in the room, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this motion, so now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this motion is closed. All right then, uh, Kyle, please call the roll. President Anand? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. And now I think we're moving on to the next uh, office. We will now entertain nominations for the position of Vice President. Any? Yes, uh, Vice President Stevenson. Yeah, I'd like to nominate Commissioner Wan. Um, for the last many years, we've gotten the pleasure of sitting on the Operations Committee together, and in all the time being both in the full body of the commission and also on the committee together, I've definitely gotten to see her sort of steady, quiet leadership on the sidelines. But this last year, I got to see her step into the role of being the chair of the committee, and I really think that it's, uh, she's done an amazing job in that role, and I think it's her time to step up and take a greater leadership role in the commission as the full body. So I'm proud to nominate her. Any other discussion, comments? Commissioner Wan, we hope you'll serve in this role. Thank you for your kind words, Commissioner Stevenson. It's been really my great honor to serve alongside with you at the operation committees all this year. Um, we think we've been through a lot of budget, 
advocacy. <laughs> but it's also very fun to see our operation committee really see the true color of the, uh, of the department, how they really outreach and also implement a lot of programs. So it's definitely my pressure to serve as advice um, uh, for the uh, commission, but also at the same time, I agree with your succession planning, especially for those like us that have been sitting on the commission for quite a long time. Um, so yes, um, I'll serve this year at least. Thank you. All right, so we have again a nomination um, and we'll take public comment on this. Seeing no members of the public in the room, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this motion so now, should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no colleagues in the queue, public comment on this motion is closed. I'll please call the roll. President on? Aye. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo is excused. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. Uh, the motion passes. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Next item, please. All right. The next item is item 20, adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 7.51 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you and good night. Good job. Well done. Oh. Yeah.